0: Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Torah for the Earth audio essay. I'm your host, Charlie Forbes, and this week I will be addressing Parashat Bo, which is Hebrew for come. In the beginning of the parashah, God says to Moshe, quote, Come to Pharaoh, for I have made his heart and the heart of his servants stubborn, so that I can put these signs of mine in his midst. I'd like to highlight the phrase otai ele, or these signs of mine, or my signs, to emphasize a point about the coming plagues. As we discussed in last week's Parashah, God inflicted upon Egypt a series of seven disasters, and we are about to see the final three of the entire 10 unfold. Colloquially, in English, we refer to these events as the 10 plagues. But the hebrew text refers to them mainly as signs otot, tot marvels mof team, or wonders nifalot the term plague in hebrew nega of course does appear but only in relation to the killing of the firstborn and the hail which involve a loss of human life carol myers a feminist biblical scholar points out that quote whenever god or the narrator Describes what these calamities are intended to mean to the story's Israelite characters and to its Israelite audience, the term used is signs. This is not to say that the Egyptians are not experiencing the events as plagues or afflictions. I only wish to highlight the main purpose of the events within the biblical narrative, which are to prove God's ultimate authority. While recognizing the nuance to the phraseology of the Torah, as it relates to the extraordinary events that have transpired, these signs are embedded in the narrative to serve as cautionary guides for our actions and a demonstration of God's providence in earthly and material affairs. Last week, I discussed how it took a full month for a plague to run its course, but that the actual duration of each plague lasted a week. I mentioned this point to indicate that there was a time between each plague, three weeks or 21 days, that was to serve as a warning period for Pharaoh. I also discussed how the plagues came in sets, three sets of three plagues each, which demonstrated a general pattern meant to establish certain principles. But commentators note that only the first two plagues of each set were preceded by a warning to Pharaoh, By the time the third plague came, the warning had been given and the point had been made. We see this in Parashat Bo with the plague of darkness. This is the third plague of the third set, which is not preceded by a warning. When we consider the progression of events and the pattern of the plagues, nature behaves in much the same way. As we inflict upon the earth varieties of living that cause imbalance the earth communicates with us through warning signs. Our bodies do the same thing. When we push too hard, we may feel pain, get tired, or feel sick. But eventually, if we do not heed to the warnings, if we remain obstinate and stubborn in our ways, then things happen without warning. Perhaps our bodies crash or we enter into a state of disease. Or maybe an unexplainable natural disaster happens that wasn't predictable on the weather charts. The third plague of each set was to serve as Pharaoh's punishment for ignoring Moshe and Aaron, and not yielding to signs delivered by God. A sign is an event that conveys a meaning and that has a message, and if we ignore that information, then there are consequences. And this is what happened to Pharaoh. In this way, the pattern of the plagues have much to teach us about how to listen to the messages contained within natural events, and how to act in accordance with that information. The rabbis explain that the name for Egypt, in Hebrew Mitzraim is derived from the word mitsarim, meaning narrow straits. Egypt, and the archetype of Pharaoh, typify the most severe variety of narrowness, narrow-mindedness, and limitation. The plague of darkness that envelops Egypt is the apex of that idea, which is what ultimately provides for the conditions for the 10th and final calamity, the killing of the firstborn. But before this occurs, the Jews are given a set of ritual preparations for the exodus from Egypt. It is at this moment in the Torah, chapter 12, verse 2, where the first mitzvah is given to the children of Israel to sanctify the new moon and to establish a calendar based on the lunar cycle. The Israelites are also given instructions for the Passover sacrifice, Pesach, and regulations regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Matzot. Some scholars suggest that these were originally two separate festivals, but the point here is to emphasize that they are connected as rituals of remembrance to mark the onset of the hurried flight from Egypt. Being that the Torah is a book of law, there is much rabbinical commentary that questions why the Torah doesn't begin at this point with the sanctification of the new moon and the laws of the Passover offering. In fact, Rashi brings this up as his first comment about the Torah, underlining that the commandment, the mitzvah, of the new moon, Rosh Chodesh, was, quote, the first law that was addressed to all of Jewry as a nation, end quote. According to the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, the word mitzvah comes from the Aramaic root tzav tzah, meaning connection. A mitzvah, or the mitzvot, are ritual technologies that tether us to god and connect us to a divine source of transformation performance of the mitzvot are a spiritual practice that are meant to transform the heart ethically refine the mind and reveal light it is no coincidence that the first mitzvah is given after the plague of darkness and before the exiting of narrow straits in chapter 13 verse 3 Moshe says to the people, quote, "Remember this day on which you departed from Egypt." End quote. The sages urge us to remember this daily with the recitation of the Shema, and for men the donning of tefillin, the latter of which is a commandment given at the conclusion of this parasha. The original Jewish geography, according to the mystical tradition, has three components: place, olam; time, Shanah, and soul, nefesh. These are the basic dimensions in which we exist and interact with our world. So far, in this series, Torah for the Earth, we have discussed place, such as with the story of Jacob in his encounter with the place, HaMakom, in Parashat Vayetzeh, and soul, such as with the story of Joseph's beauty and the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action as three forms of soulful expression but in this parasha parashat bow we finally turn our attention to time with the sanctification of the new moon the jewish calendar is based on the moon and months alternate between 29 and 30 days rosh chodesh literally head of the month commemorates the beginning of each month with the appearance of the new moon and marks the first day of every month in the calendar. Traditionally, Rosh Chodesh is particularly special for women, and although it isn't considered a full holiday, it is observed and celebrated in a sacred way. According to the Mishnah, quote, women did not customarily work on the new moon, end quote, which makes a lot of sense if you simply consider the effect of monthly cycles and the rest needed at the time of menstruation. In chapter 12, verse 1, God says, quote, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, end quote. This is a reference to the month of Nisan, the month in which the commandment of Rosh Chodesh was given, and the month during which the calendar year begins. It is also significant because it is a crucial signpost needed for Pesach preparations, which occurs on the 15th of Nisan, and an awareness And an internalization of a monumental moment of Jewish history, that being the exodus from Egypt. Although it is understood that Nisan is the beginning of months, it is not the beginning of the year, which occurs with the holiday of Rosh Hashanah on the first of Tishrei, which is the seventh month, which points to a fascinating way that Judaism grapples with time and the cyclical evolution of nature. One of the most beautiful aspects of Judaism is its grounding in the human life cycle, and the link between various ritual observances to time and seasonality. This is, in and of itself, incredibly ecological, as our actions are tied to the natural cycles of the earth. The month of Nisan and the observance of Pesach always occur in the spring, when the natural world is coming alive again after being dormant during the winter months. The redemption of the Jewish people is linked to spring, to a new bursting forth of light, life, and energy. In this way, the concept of renewal is linked to redemption, and that is precisely what happens every year when the earth is revived every spring. It should also inspire us to renew ourselves, to pay attention to changes, and to the parallel between our own processes and that of the Earth's. Our awareness of time is a fundamental component to our own geography, and to our orientation within the natural world. Parashat Bo very much emphasizes the sacrality of time through the sanctification of Rosh Chodesh, which is incredibly environmentally significant. Every year and every day, in fact, we are urged to remember the exodus so that we can leave behind our narrow-mindedness and the actions that are preventing an expression of light. This could be applicable to something on a macro level, such as a worldview, or on a micro level, such as a bad habit. Either way, every day we must renew ourselves through our remembrance of narrow straits, and through our sacred relation to time. Thank you all for listening. That's all for now, and I'll catch you next week.